0: The Salesforce. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. We're joined by Kendall Grant, who um, is actually the first person we've had on who has sales operations experience at Google, which I'm super interested in. Um, since then, he's also been running sales ops at two other businesses, Fastly and AnyPerk. Perk. Um, Kendall, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Um, and before we kick off, looking very smooth.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It is Halloween here uh, in the States. So we have our annual con- costume contest
0: and they, they do a good job of bribing us to dress up because we always donate to a charity for everyone that, that dresses up We give a certain amount. Fantastic. Um, I want to kick off with the first question um, how, about how you actually got into the profession.
1: Yeah, uh, that, made, that makes sense. Um, I think as uh, a lot of former people in sales ops, at least you know, the, the, the people in my network that I know, we are, we are a bunch of either like burnt out or reformed consultants or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or bankers. Uh, or, or salespeople. And so um, I, I was a former consultant, um, and then I, I, went to, I went to Google and I did sales there, uh, moved into um, a, a product uh, side after that as a product expert at Google, then after that, finally moved in, into sales ops. And so for there, I found, that, I found sales ops was pretty interesting because I got to do a lot of different things. And uh, I like, I like the ability to like, you know, be an all around athlete and not only like, you know, look at sales numbers, but also do a lot of process change and program management, and things like that.
0: Got it. Um, and so Google was the first place where you actually had a, a role of sales operations.
1: Yeah. 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 That was the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I was at, I did, um, I was on the Central America sales, sales team looking at um, a lot of the overall um, business planning and strategy for the American. The Americas, and I also did a stint for um, for a quarter out in APAC, uh, helped spinning yeah. up the, for work uh, for work business there on, on the operations side.
0: Got it. So you, you didn't join Google into into a sales role; you you moved internally into that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I did sales there for about uh, two years, um, and then um, did a pro, did a did a
0: mobile product expert role for about a year. of really doing a lot of the analytics on that
1: side, and then going to uh, going to sales ops on that.
0: Got it. And what kind of made you want to switch well, from sales and then to product expert and then to sales operations? Like, why did you not just stay in sales?
1: Yeah, so I, I think um, sales at, at at Google it's a little bit it's a little bit different. It's more um, um, it's more account management. Like, you're still responsible for a big number, right? Where you're not go, you're not going out and cold calling and prospecting um, um, people, even though it's still it's still sales. So it's more getting deeper in the number of accounts that you have. And I think um, for me, I just I just wanted to do more and find out what else um, is is out there where it's like, you know, I do love talking to people. I do love talking to customers, but I, I don't find the joy in that every day. And because you have such big accounts, you're talking to the same people over, over and over again, right? So you build very, very deep relationships. But after a while for me, it's like, okay, I think, you know, I, I built a ton of relationships here, but what else can I, can I do? And I, I want to see more parts of the business, right? And so... Um, I was very interested in going to mobile products at that time at, at Google because we just started coming out with enhanced campaigns, which basically we switched all our ad to be mobile first. So it's sort of like looking at it, it like sort of doing a startup within Google, right? It's like, okay, we need to make this big product change. This is a team that's gonna lead it. Like, how do we do that change across the board, right? It's essentially a new product we're rolling out that affects all of our advertisers in the biggest business. And so I found that very um, interesting and rewarding. It's the hardest I think I've ever worked in my in my life, or one of the hardest times i worked in my life, like taking calls at all crazy hours. Um, but it's definitely rewarding. Then after that, it was sort of like, hey, this team is disbanded. You have your pick of where you want to go. Do you want to go back into sales? Do you want to go into sales ops, things like that? And I was really sold on the sales ops job. They really wanted um, the analytical background that I had for the Central Americas team. And I already knew some people on there that I worked pretty closely with, so it seemed like a
0: Got it. Um, and then if we fast forward to today at Fastly, um, can you just give us a sense of how many people there are in operations and then how many reps that you guys are responsible for?
1: Yeah, so I think um, at, at, at Fastly, so on the operations team, we have two sides of the house. We have our, our sales ops team and then we also have our client services ops team and we all rolled up into our VP um, of, of field and services operations globally. Um, And so on on my ops team, uh, we have five folks, um, including myself. We have a sales enablement um, team of three people now. And then we have a client services team of of three as well, client services ops team. And we support um, about 100 plus folks uh, worldwide. So that
0: includes sellers, account managers, technical account managers, um, and also uh, the CS, the client services side of the house. Got it. Awesome. Um, And your current tech stack?
1: Yeah, so our current tech stack, we have we use a lot of um, different tools. So obviously, Salesforce, like everyone else, uh, we do use Discover or Zoom Info, or Discover or buy Zoom Info now. I know that we had DataNize. I know that DataNize Zoom Info bought DataNize and Discover or bought Zoom Info recently. Yeah, so, so we just resigned with them to, to do the whole Discover or package. Uh, we have uh, we use CPQ in Salesforce. It used to be Steelbrick. So we have that. We use Outreach um, IO. Um, for emails, um, we have Lupio for, uh, for RFPs. Uh, we use Slack internally, very Slack-heavy culture um, here. Uh, we use Domo as our um, business um, intelligence tool. Uh, we have Exactly for commissions. And then we um, use LinkedIn Sales Navigator um, also uh, for prospecting. And then we currently have Eloqua, but we are switching to Marketo. And, we will, and that switch will hopefully happen by the end of the year.
0: Got a Pretty comprehensive overview of the tools there. Um, yeah. Now I want to talk about data quality. Um, is that your responsibility or your team's responsibility to make sure that everything is ship in Salesforce?
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's a shared responsibility we take along with marketing ops, right? And so we typically, when when data quality comes into play when we're doing our territory management and, and quota allocation at the beginning of, of every year. So we need to deepen it right now where it's like, you want to score all the accounts, you know, we want to split up the territories. Um, we, want, we want to cut the regions, make sure everyone makes sure we have balanced territories so we can assign quota um, rationally. Um, so we're doing that right now. We'll clean up a lot of the data in that process. And we'll also work with marketing ops as far as on the inbound side to say like, hey, how do we enrich a lot of the leads we get in and get accurate data on that, right? And so we use a combination of Discover Org and, and lead Space for that as far as to, to enrich um, things. And then obviously for you know people we get at events and things like that, marketing will also enrich that data and make sure that that data is accurate as, as well with our um, um, what we currently have in Salesforce. And so it's a shared responsibility and we also rely on the SDRs and the sellers too when they see something and their capture doesn't look right. So to so always come back to us and we can fix and, and correct that data. But, but we definitely take the initiative there and usually are, are the first pass like any data that touches to make sure that it is clean and, that, and it is accurate for us.
0: Got it. And that was going to be my next question about working with salespeople and getting them to kind of do stuff that you want them to do. So do you just say, if you see anything strange or weird, just let us know and we'll pick it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what we usually do. We usually say like, Hey, cause we tell them or like, Hey, you know, we're probably about, we aim to be, you know, the old 80, 20 rule, 80% accurate. Right. Get most of it. Right. But you know, you're patched better than us. Right. And especially now we see a lot of consolidation, like for example, in the media space these days. Right. So we're like, I don't like, you know, on the tip of the spear saying like, oh, well, you know, this new, you know, big media conglomerate brought all of these um, companies, right? So we expect our sellers to, to know that because that's their business and that's their path where it's like, hey, actually this company was bought by this other company that are going to stand at the end of the year. So we can either make the appropriate parent-child relationships, you know, or, or mark that company as, as out of business in our, in our system.
0: Got it. And then moving on, or, or actually staying with the salespeople, are you? What do you? Do you have initiatives around productivity at the moment? Like, what are the things that you're doing that are trying to drive their productivity?
1: Yeah, yeah. So our big initiative at the moment now is we want to um, decrease um, um, ramp times um, and then get people productive and sooner, get them to close their first deal sooner. And so one of the big initiatives we're in the throes of right now that we will roll out um, next year at our um, sales kickoff is sales playbooks, right? Something we've never had here before. Um, so we're using a consulting, com- using a consulting company um, for that to help us do these workshops with with product and um, with product marketing, marketing and, and sellers to design like, hey, what are our target customer profiles? Get really deep, more granular into personas, and then get sales input and being like, hey, when we're talking to customers, with customers like this, you know, like this is how we can walk through the fastly sales process and standardize that for for each vertical that that, that we have.
0: Got it. Um, So there's a real focus on ramp time, getting people Mm. in and then calling straight away. Um, If you wouldn't mind, so we're kind of going through this as well at the same time. Um, We're like working on our FDR ramp time. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you like expect of like an average period to get someone from joining to actually like hitting their numbers?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. It's different for all industries, right? At see we are very, very technical, right? We're, we're an edge cloud. Um, so, and we have a traditional CDN and WAF, Bot Protection, Media Shield, and Image Optimization and, and other products. But everything we sell is typically with the sales engineer that's heavily involved. It involves POC. Um, like, you know, we have a very, very um, technical product. And so, um, and so our ramp time is rather long, especially for big deals. Um, right, is get a seller up and, up and running to get a seller so they feel good. So it's usually about, like in the past, there's usually been a nine-month ramp time for sellers to feel comfortable. We've heard, right? So we're actually going to start measuring it, like, you know, and we're going to, we're still trying to think of what metrics we want to use um, for that. But, but typically, it's like nine months here. If you work in one of those, our smaller teams here, it's about a six-month ramp time, I would say. And so we're hoping that, you know, the sales playbook, what we want to do is we have very senior sellers here that have worked in you know, the CDM business worked at fastly a long time. You want to take all that knowledge, tribal knowledge, out of their heads and disseminate that to the rest of the org. So when somebody starts new, they can just have that playbook in front of them saying, like, oh, this is how I sell fastly. This is how I should pitch fastly. This is who I should be targeting. You know, if I find this scenario in a POC and stuff like that, this is how I should handle it with my, um, you know, with my sales engineer. And so that's, that's our main, you know, focus of these playbooks
0: where it's like, hey, we want to give people a path to consume all, these knowledge, all this knowledge in an easy path to always reference that going forward. Got it. So it's just, I, I like that term, like trying to suck all the knowledge from the whole organization and then push it into the, the sales. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we have
1: people in the CDN business here that have, been, that have been here since the start of fast even before um, um, Fastly, and they've worked, always worked in the industry. And so it's like, all right, yeah, how do we get that internal knowledge that they have and, and put it back into, into other people's brains?
0: Got it. Um, moving on to the forecasting process. Does um, so that sit with your team?
1: Yeah. So forecasting sits with us. Um, we currently use um, Salesforce forecasting. We do weekly forecasts is what we do. And so we always forecast a new business. So that new business that comes into um, uh, the company. And then we also forecast renewals and um, upsells and downsells, right? Where it's like for our current customer base, if you're handling that you know, if, do we see a big uh, re-rate coming? Like, do we see a big upsell coming? you want to know about that as well? And so we track that on on, on a weekly basis for, for all teams. Um, and so our, my sales ops leads um, lead that for each of the teams that, um, that that they run, right? And we roll that all up and we put that stuff in the domos. So we track that. Hey, what is the management committing to us? Where do we look against quota? And then we also have a team commit. What is the team committing to us outside of the manager, outside of the manager commit? There's the three metrics um, that, that we look at. And then we also have a monthly, we call it a senior forecasting call. where We sit down, you know, with our finance VPs, um, and then um, and then we sit down with our senior managers, our senior VPs, to look at just holistically. Hey, you know, for this quarter, what are the big deals that we're looking at? Um, and then also, what are the big re rates that, that we need to get ahead of that we see that are coming, so we can make sure that deal desk is involved. and We have a good path to figure out, you know, how we want to handle these these customers coming up for a move.
0: Uh, just quickly jumping back to the three metrics, to, to the three kind of forecasts you have. So you yeah. have the rep commits, I believe, yep. commits, and then you have like a top-down forecast, is that right?
1: Yeah. So what I mean by that, so, like we, have, so we have the rep roll-up that we have, so they give us a commit, so we call it the team commit, and then we ask the manager separately, all right, based upon your team commit, like what is, like, what, like for your sense of the team, you are with them every day, you know, is that high or low, right? So we track a separate manager's commit where it's like, okay, manager, we want to hold you accountable. We realize you know some reps you know might be over enthusiastic, some reps might be a little in shy, and so we ask the manager. You need to also submit your commitment separate of the team, and so we usually see that either be haircut a little bit, or they might be, or they might push it a little bit more and saying like, hey, like, this is actually going to be the forecast, right? And then obviously we have our quota, and so we so we look at that as well, saying like, hey, are we actually forecasting to you know to quota or not? And obviously if not, we and figure out how do we how do we close the gap there.
0: Cool. And then you have that time three for new business, re rates, and then there was something else upsells.
1: Yeah, yeah upsells. So re rates and upsells are the same. So that's just basically your renewals. So we have, so we look at the renewals, um, and then we also look at, yeah, and then we also look at the new business um, as,
0: as well. Got It's a pretty robust forecasting process. Um, got a bit of a curveball for you here. So what, because you've had, is it approximately eight years' experience in sales ops now? A slightly Yeah, Okay, um, in in those years, which metric, which sales metric, um, like gets you the most excited, or not excited, but is the most uh, insightful for you, or the most interesting?
1: The most insightful, most interesting. Um, that is a very good. That is that that is a very good uh, uh, question. Um, I think one of the metrics that I always um, that 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 I always look at is everyone looks at. Hey, this is the actual like win rate, right? Or it's like, oh, this is actually you know the closed deals um, plus uh, the one deals, right? I mean, so the one deals divided by whatever was closed, right, was one or lost, right? Like that's the win rate. But I actually like looking at that, you know, too weighted. But also, hey, I want to see what was actually still what deals are actually still open. Like let's say in like later stages. Let's say like if you have a five-stage step, let's say stage three or or greater, right? Because that gives me a better approximation of like, hey, okay, what did we actually win, and are we actually moving deals through the funnel, right? Got it. So and so it gives a bit more nuance where it's like, yeah, I know our win rate is high after the stuff we just we just closed, but we could see on smaller teams where it's like, well, this person only has one or two deals that they actually move through you know, this quarter, so the win rate's 100%. That's not really true. They have all this stuff out here sitting in, like, let's say, their stage is, like, negotiation or, like, evaluation, right? Sitting out here that hasn't moved anything, right? And so if we take in some of the stuff that's open and what stage they're actually in. That'll give us a true, uh, you know, for me, you know, a better sense of what are we actually winning and our, our win rate just inflated because we're not moving
0: deals through or
1: moving deals out.
0: Got it. So you're saying that sometimes the win rate, weight- RIN weight metric can be limited in that if only the deals. Yeah, exactly. Especially like, you know,
1: obviously sellers are optimistic. So they'll just leave deals open and open and open and open and open. So if like you take, you know, some cut of that into consideration, you have a better idea of like, oh, this is what we're actually winning. This stuff here, that's just open. Like this, something needs to happen with this. These deals should have that at some point in time.
0: So we should probably give this new metric a name, right? Or do you already have a name for it?
1: I don't have a name for it, and it's not my. I think I, I think I've, I've heard this metric. I'm part of um, the Modern Sales Pro group, run by Pete Kinsey up in um, up in San Francisco, and so I definitely, I think I heard it from one of his talks, or maybe a talk with somebody in that in that group. So I'm definitely not taking credit for, for that uh, for that metric, but I, I did find it very very interesting.
0: Okay, fair enough. I just wrote down true win rates. Yeah, that's so that's what I'm going to be calling it going forward.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, awesome. And then my final question is about uh, who in the the sales ops game has taught you the most?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Since um, I, I think I've learned a little bit um, along uh, along the way, and so I definitely think my form, uh, my former um, sales ops uh, managers at, at Google, uh, Maggie and Eduardo, um, both former McKinsey consultant, I was a former consultant, and so like they were really good about you know. You know, the big picture, like how do we move or like Google has, you know, tens of thousands of sellers. Like how do we do change management and move a org of 10,000, present a business plan for 10,000 people in front of executives, like, you know, in the cash market, right? So they're really good about framing and shaping the story and presenting that and looking at. And they were always good about, hey, just don't show a, a number. You always need to show a number in context, right? And we're always looking for patterns. Like patterns is what will make like any sales um, successful. Where it's like, do we see a pattern... And how do we scale out those best practices, right? Like that's what we always want to focus on in sales ops, like like to make people more efficient. Um, And so always working with them on that and always keeping that that, that top of mind. I think Maggie was always pretty smart about, hey, if you see some slide, like, you know, that you see somewhere else in some other presentation, like, you know, always, you know, have that slide and take that and use it for your own use, right? Because a lot of people do a lot of different decks. And she's like, you know, we don't expect everyone to have the greatest deck, but if something resonates with you, you should keep that in your wheelhouse, right? So always feel free to, like, you know, look at other slides and incorporate that into your presentation. So I find that very useful. And I think working now, I work with Kent Corson here um, at uh, uh, at Fastly, you know, and then, uh, yeah, I just learned a lot from him. Just talk about like He always talks about, you know, here we're doing the stuff that they don't teach you, like in B-school, right? So it's like, hey, how do we, you know, at Fastly – we're growing super rapidly, you know, we're in public this year, you know, we have big plans for the future. How do we do that change management? How do we do the planning when we have a lot of stuff unknown? And how do we actually make those trade-offs, right? And so it's a lot of stuff behind the scenes where it's like, how do you build relationships with the sales leaders and build that trust? But also, you know, how do you have that frank conversation of, hey, we need to invest here or we need to invest here. And these are the trade-offs and lay it off for people on the table so we can have that honest conversation of what's best
0: for them. Awesome. Um, that was a really good, like fast paced download of sale of wisdom. Thank okay. you so much, Kendall. Um, here, here are the things I particularly like. Um, obviously the, uh, the new metric that we, we may give credit to modern sales pros, but we're calling mm-hmm. true win rate, mm-hmm. which is uh-huh. not just taking into account uh, the actual win rate because maybe the salesperson is keeping, pe- keeping deals here um, and not closing them out. Um, the the forecast and post set process sounded really, really robust and having weekly for both new business and re rate slash upsells from the three different points of view. I think that's mm-hmm. something so like um, detailed, and, uh, in my words, robust. And then finally, the, the point about the playbooks and, and documenting the wisdom um, or collecting the wisdom, documenting it, and then trying to feed that to these people so they can get in and hit the ground as fast as possible. Um, Kendall, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you.